This is Fine Rambles, number 74. Okay, I want to tell you a story, and it's about the banking crisis from 2007 and 08. And I know part of the story is going to sound like old news. But if we don't solve a problem at the time, it doesn't die. (laughs) If you just paper over a problem, and if we try to bury our sins, they, they fester and they grow. And then at the worst possible time, those sins like like zombies or or ghosts they will rise out of their graves and and tear us apart so this story starts back in the clinton administration robert rubin was the secretary of the treasury from 95 to 99 and together with larry summers he basically deregulated the banking industry They repealed Glass-Steagall, and most importantly, they made sure that derivatives, the financial instruments that directly caused the great financial crisis, were unregulated, so that the banks basically (laughs) had free reign. They could do whatever they wanted. And after giving this enormous gift to the banking industry, he left government and joined board of directors for Citibank, where they paid him more than $100 million. And that is sort of the foundation of the financial crisis. And then when the financial crisis hits, you start to look around and you start to notice that everyone in the government who's in charge of it basically used to work for Goldman Sachs. Hank Paulson, who was the Treasury Secretary at the time, He was succeeded by a guy named Tim Geithner, who never worked at Goldman, but he was basically Robert Rubin and Hank Paulson's disciple. You know, he was their mini-me. And, you know, right through through the great financial crisis and up to today, this trend of seeing Goldman Sachs everywhere continues. So, for example, today, the current Treasury Secretary, Steve, I can't pronounce this, Muchian, Munchen, Munch, Munchkin, he, he worked at Goldman. Dudley, who's the current president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Oh, not sorry, not current, but he was there, I think, from 2009 to 2018. He was the guy, <laughs> just to take a, st- a step back for a second, he was the guy who was giving a talk to a bunch of poor people in Harlem, I believe, and they were complaining about inflation. And he was and he, and he was flabbergasted. He's like, an iPad has doubled in, in processing power in the last couple of years, and it's the same price. <laughs> and someone in the crowd said, dude, we can't eat iPads. And this sort of showed the disconnect between, you know, that sort of person and the average American. So anyways, he worked at Goldman for a long time. Uh, let's see, Robert Kaplan, the current president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, he worked for Goldman. Neil Kashkari, the guy who oversaw TARP during the crisis, and he now runs the Fed in Minneapolis. He worked for Goldman. Uh, let's see, uh, uh, Draghi, he's the president of the European Central Bank. 
he worked for Goldman Sachs, and Mark Carney, who's the governor of the Bank of England, he worked for Goldman Sachs. And again, this isn't, I'm not necessarily trying to pick just on Goldman, although they seem to be disproportionately represented. If you look at people who run finance for the government in general, they come from the financial industry. How can I put this? It's not, I'm not trying to say they have an organized conspiracy. It's a question of loyalty. It's a question of how they think. And the way you think after a lifetime at one of these banks is, I have to protect my own. I have to protect my tribe. And that's what they did during the crisis. So Goldman alums at the Treasury Department bailed out an insurance company named AIG. But they didn't bail out AIG to save AIG. They bailed out AIG because AIG owed Goldman Sachs a lot of money. And so bailing out AIG was a pass-through to bail out Goldman. And they gave AIG $85 billion. And AIG took that money and they gave most of it to banks like Goldman because of derivatives. And then they paid their executives, the people who had destroyed the American financial in the American financial system, bonuses of $168 million. Let me repeat that. The people at AIG who were responsible for millions of Americans losing their homes, for the stock market crashing, for millions of people being out of work, were rewarded with $168 million of taxpayer money. And, you know, AIG was just the tip of the iceberg. The government lent the banks, again, they lent the villains, <laughs> they lent the guilty parties of the crisis $4.7 trillion. And they gave them this money for free at the bottom of the market. And the banks, of course, made billions and billions, <laughs> it sounds like Carl Sagan, billions of dollars on this free money. And they took that money, and what did they do? Did they lend it out to the American people? Did they forgive some of the mortgage debt that had been fraudulently extended by the banks? No, they paid it out as bonuses to the same people who had committed fraud and destroyed the economy in the first place. And because we bailed out, because the government bailed out the existing system, Banks remained undercapitalized. They still didn't have enough money to resume normal lending. And that lasted for years as they had to retain these profits, you know, after they paid their bonuses, to rebuild their balance sheets. And that slowed the recovery. The economic recovery after the 09 collapse was the slowest in history by a long way. And this was why. The banks took the bailout money and gave it to themselves instead of lending it out to the American people. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is they bailed out the banks and the executives who made the duplicitous predator loans rather than the ordinary Americans who lost their homes. The government could have taken that money that they gave the banks and just bought out every underwater mortgage in the country. Instead of bailing out the rich, they could have bailed out the average American. The goal was always to save the bankers, to save the banks. 
And as for the people whose lives were destroyed by the banks, who were, who were lied to by the banks, who, who the banks committed fraud against, well, you know, they could go fuck themselves. And so, and so here's the lesson. The lesson was very straightforward. If you destroy the lives of ordinary Americans, you will get paid millions of dollars by the people who used to work at your firm or a firm exactly like your firm. And that, to my mind, is a war. It's an economic war between, between the globalist elite and everyone else. And, and here's the rub. Look around you. Look around. Who has won that war? The rich in this country now live 12 years longer than the poor. 12 years. And at the same time, there is not one banker in prison. Not Dick Fold of Lehman Brothers. Not even Joe Cassano of AIG. So what's the result? The big banks are even bigger now than they were. They have more power. And that means that there is a very good possibility that they could create another financial crisis. And it is certainly true that if that happens, the ordinary American will once again be forced by their government to spend trillions of dollars to bail them out and ensure that the executives who were guilty still get paid their tens of millions of dollars in bonuses. Nothing has changed. Nothing. Nothing has changed. This is, this is the worst kind of conservatism that looks at a broken system and refuses to clean house, that, that, that rejects the feedback of reality and doubles down on the broken system, that protects criminals and the corrupt because the class as a whole is afraid to lose their privilege. The people, and even worse, the mentality that created the great financial crisis or crash, those are all still in place. The problem hasn't been solved. It's gotten worse. You know, hearing me say this out loud makes me start to get angry. But, but the answer I don't think is anger. First of all, it's just important to understand the truth so that the next time you see the CEO of Goldman Sachs, you know, getting a blowjob on MSNBC, remember that he makes hundreds of millions of dollars pissing on your leg and telling you it's raining. Remember that Goldman Sachs actively bets against the products it sells. The next time you see the Treasury Secretary getting, you know, getting a hand job on Fox News, remember that he probably worked for Goldman Sachs, that he probably got his job by funding a political campaign, and he will use his time in office to enrich his old firm so that they can buy the next generation of politicians. And then when his term in office is done, he will go back to work for Goldman or Wells Fargo or Citibank or Blackstone as, you know, some senior advisor making good on, on the favors he's done 
and he will make more millions and millions of dollars. Let me make this even simpler. The Treasury Department is the bank's bitch. That's called regulatory capture, and it is the rule in D.C. If you want to know why nothing works in this country, that is a big piece of the puzzle. Why can't Boeing make planes that fly? Because they own the FAA. Why can't the drug companies make drugs that are affordable or that even work? Because the drug companies own the FDA. The military-industrial complex owns the Department of Defense. Comcast and AT&T, they own the FCC. So I could stop there. You know, I would stop this podcast now if I was a nihilist. Because it's so tempting to hear about this level of endemic corruption and, you know, just throw up my hands. And I know, I know, (laughs) I know trying to give advice is stupid and counterproductive. So I'm just going to talk to myself for a minute, as if I haven't been doing that this whole podcast. But I'm just going to talk to myself for a second. Okay, there are spheres of influence. And at the center, there's me, there's Matt, right? And then the next layer out, there's my family, and then my friends, and then my community, and my country, and then the world. And if I look at the outer spheres, at the people and institutions that are far away from me, and I despair, if I lament my powerlessness, it's going to be harder for me to focus on doing what's necessary to make myself as strong as possible. And if I'm strong, I'll be better able to help my family, and I'll be able to make sure they're strong. And then together, my family and I will be in a better position to help my friends and and my community. And that means all appearances to the contrary, I have to act as though my actions make a difference. And that's how I'm going to find the meaning that enables me to keep going. Because if I need to see results for every little thing I do, (laughs) I would break like a twig. Like a twig. Because positive reinforcement is necessary, but it's not the same thing as winning. It's just feedback you're on the right path. And that can include all sorts of, quote, failing. The right path is the one where you feel your own agency and your own responsibility, where where despite the setbacks, you feel yourself getting stronger. And that approach, that's the opposite of nihilism. All right, that's it. I'll catch you next week.